Welcome listeners to the Bass Training Podcast. We have now renamed this podcast The Singer's Hangout because we've decided to bring a wider range of topics related to singing teaching and singers. My name is Lynn Hilton. I am a Bass trainer and also the founder of Bass Training. You may have noticed that we've taken a bit of a break. We needed to regroup and think about how we wanted the podcast to move forward. And one of the things that we realised was that singers and singing teachers really need to know a lot about a lot of things uh, which might not necessarily just be directly related to the voice or teaching singing. So we're widening the scope of this podcast to include anything to do with the voice, the performer, teaching, uh, how to set up a business and run a business and maybe we'll even look at things like marketing. So expect a lot of variety in this podcast. We welcome any feedback from you. And of course, if you know of anybody you think would be a great interview, then let us know and we can approach them. Or if there's a particular topic that you find you're interested in or you want to know more about, then by all means, drop us an email at info at and we welcome your input. So I'm going to kick off our New Look podcast with an interview with clinical nutritionist Stephanie Moore. She is a bit of a favourite with Best Training. She's joined us on a couple of events, sharing her incredible um, knowledge and understanding of nutrition and how it impacts the voice and the performer. I do hope you enjoy this interview and looking forward to seeing you somewhere in the Best community. So Stephanie is a clinical nutritionist. She's head of nutrition at Grayshot Medical Spa and also at Lanzerhof Medical Clinic in London. She's written a book called Why Eating Less and Exercising More Makes You Fat, and we might delve a little bit into that um, as we have a conversation. And she's also got a couple of other books on the way. So welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, every time you do something for BAST, people rave about you and say how amazing your information is and how passionate you are about this uh, various topics that you talk about. That's nice to hear. Yeah. So what's your uh, latest focus then? What are you focused on with regard to your work? Ongoing, really. In the last 10 years, I have been very focused on gut health. But more specifically, how we can nurture a better culture within our lower intestine where we have these literally trillions of microbes that science is now proving have an effect on every single system in our body. So this is about the root of good health. Every time we eat, many of the things we're doing day to day can either positively or negatively impact what we call the gut microbiome. As I say, this colony of different microbes, not just bacteria, lots of different microbes, including viruses, including fungi, including parasites, much of which will be commensal, helpful, beneficial. And if we look after them, they thrive. And then they are managing huge things within the body, brain health, metabolic health, digestive health, immune regulation. So I am working with many, many patients to bolster, boost uh, reset the microbiome and then the microbiome could get on with healing the body so it's a rather nice way of looking at uh, helping a patient help themselves to get well. So 
the kind of things that might impact a performer then, you know, if, if their gut microbiome is out of order, what, do you, what would you assume or what, what's your experience saying? Uh, fatigue, often. Certainly seeing a slowing of recovery. So if you've been performing a lot, doing a lot of work on the voice, whatever it might be, and you're just finding that you can't get back on form quickly enough, feeling always a bit low, a bit run down, like it's a bit of a struggle. That's probably one of the first signs. Feeling bloated, which is such a common thing that people think it is normal. It's very common, but it is not normal that by the end of the day, you've got a big distended belly. Now, if people are performing in the evening and they've got their you know, performance clothes on and they, they want to get up on stage and feel confident and feel fabulous and do their thing. And meanwhile, they've got pain they've got this extended belly so their clothes might not feel great. That can really affect both psychological and physical performance. So bloating is a sign of something called dysbiosis, which is where the gut bacteria aren't working properly. They might be in the wrong place. You might have the wrong kinds of bacteria or you might be feeding them the wrong foods and they're producing too much gas in the wrong place. Many reasons for bloating, but largely very manageable. And that lovely feeling of having a nice flat tummy and feeling empty and light and not all sort of congested and heavy, hence good bowel movements are important too, affects everybody. And as I say, as a performer, you want to be feeling on top of your game and feeling good in your body. So, yeah, hugely yeah. important. So what about, um, I thought it was interesting, that connection between the gut and the brain. So how does an imbalance in the gut affect the brain then? Well, again, quite new science. Over the last few years, it's been established that at least 90% of serotonin in the body, you know, serotonin is the well-known brain chemical that makes us happy. It's what people are low in when they're depressed and then they get put on an antidepressant to increase the amount of uh, serotonin in the brain. 90% of the serotonin in the body is made in the gut. That's extraordinary. So it's made in the gut lining it is involved in some processes of digestion, largely the speed at which the food is passing through and how well we manage that process. And then once it gets right down to the bottom of the, when the food gets down to the bottom of the um, intestine where all the microbes live, then we have serotonin literally going from the intestine through a neural pathway up to the brain. It's extraordinary. So if one's digestive system and particularly gut microbiome aren't functioning very well, your production of serotonin goes down mm. and then you are susceptible to feeling overwhelmed, feeling low, just your mood is affected. We also now know that about 80% of dopamine, which is your anti-anxiety, your pleasure brain chemical is also being made in the gut. So there is an absolute direct correlation between what is going on in your digestive system and how well your brain chemistry is being managed. And on top of that now, and this is very new, this is a, a very important paper came out at the end of last year showing that good microbes help to manage any inflammation in the brain. So from migraines to headaches, to brain fog, to poor concentration, overwhelm, being hypersensitive to lights and noise, all of these things are signs of an inflammation system in the brain not being well managed. Gut mm -hmm. microbes are very much managing that. So so massive you know that's just one aspect of our gut health but the brain health obviously is a, is a huge factor and a very very direct correlation between the two
Yeah. So I'm thinking about um, how can I, well, first of all, what kind of signs might indicate that you have, is it microbiome mm-hmm. imbalance? Um, what, and I suppose in, in many ways I'm trying to think of some practical things that a singing teacher might notice or yeah. be able to help their student with if they're thinking that there's something going on, you know, that mm-hmm. they're either, you know, moody or that they're uncomfortable or they're complaining about stomachache. Or... Exactly. All of those are relevant. And there are so many symptoms. That's why it can be quite difficult to specify. But also things like <clears throat> um, bad breath is a very clear sign. Now, there are many other reasons why one might have bad breath. But again, coming back to the microbiome, if one's dental hygiene isn't very good and you've got bad bacteria growing in the mouth, then you're swallowing your saliva, that's going to be having a direct effect on your gut microbiome too. So it goes both ways. You can have bad breath because you've got a bad gut microbiome, but equally you can have a gut microbiome because of poor oral health. So bad breath can be an issue. Again, the headachey, but lack of concentration, not being able to retain what normally would have been easy to remember a new instruction, a new song, a new technique, and it's just not there. People call it brain fog, that's quite a new term, but people will probably be familiar with what that means. You just aren't thinking sharp, your concentration is poor and you're not able to recall information very well. So that's a a real classic sign. General malaise, general low mood, irritability, huge one. So lack of tolerance, we call it. And this is particularly evident where people are really pushing themselves. They're quite stressed. They're feeling quite overwhelmed. Their tolerance for that, their ability to keep going, their ability to not be overwhelmed and feeling they're not coping really drops through the floor. And again, that that very much correlates with this poor gut health because gut health helps us manage our stress hormones better. So in many, many ways, it could be a skin thing that, again, as performers, you know, what one looks like is obviously part of the the whole performance element. Um, Rashes, redness, dry skin, spotty skin, all part of the detoxification process or inflammation process that the gut microbiome are involved in. So it can manifest in so, so, so many different ways. Thinning hair, broken hair, dry hair, Um, And also when we are under functioning like this, so the body's overwhelmed, a bit toxic, just not firing on all cylinders properly, we often see a reduction in thyroid hormones and thyroid hormones are our energy hormones made from a a gland in the neck that every cell in the body requires these hormones to do the job properly. And when the body starts to get overwhelmed, overtired, overtoxic, thyroid function drops. And then nothing is working very well. You can't pick yourself up. You find you're worn out all the time. And um, and then it's a kind of an ever-increasing issue. Would um, getting repeatedly ill, like, you know, always catching colds be a, a potential sign? Very much, because eighty over 80% now they think of the immune system is in our gut lining. And if you think about your digestive system, which starts in the mouth and goes all the way down to the other end, the inside of your digestive system, which is a long tube like a hose pipe, is still open to the outside world. And it's the interface between the outside world and the rest of your body. So your, uh, the lining of your gut is being bombarded with chemicals 
and bacteria and viruses and nasty things constantly. So we have to have most of our immune system sitting in that barrier between the outside world and what the body allows into the bloodstream. And so we have this very, very complex immune system sitting in the gut and the microbes in the gut are hugely involved in that. So a good, healthy digestive system will enable a more complex, more sophisticated and much more reactive immune system. So, you know, if there is something that we are exposed to, we want that immediate kick in effect of killing off those nasty bugs before they're allowed into the bloodstream and then they manifest in the body. So, yes, mm. low, low immunity is very, very good sign. So if, if a singing teacher or if a singer starts to notice some of these symptoms that you're talking about, mm. what would the next step be to maybe investigate whether it's related to their gut? Well, certainly to ask some questions about how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Are you looking after yourself food-wise? And trying to get a bit more of the story underneath all of this. Is this something new or is this something you're used to? Were you always the one as a child that would get all the coughs and colds? Or is this something new? And that gives you a lot of really important information because some people are just more inclined, they're more vulnerable than others. Still doesn't mean you should ignore it because there are always things one can do to, to boost the immune system. Uh, not everybody is always open to having those sorts of questions asked or they might feel judged. So I think it, we have to be very careful when we're asking questions about what, what's going on and giving guidance with really practical things like sleep and taking time out and understanding the importance of good nutrition. And what often happens when people start to get a bit run down and overwhelmed, their natural inclination is to go for the fast carbs, the sugary stuff, the starchy stuff, the caffeinated drinks, not, not that I'm against all of those, but to overuse them, which are in themselves taxing on the body and not be having the right nourishment will cause the body to deteriorate so quickly. So if a singing teacher has just a basic bit of knowledge to point people in the right direction food-wise or mention the gut microbes and has this person heard about them and they're amazing and if we just do a few of these things, it can really bolster the immune system and encourage them with a few practical tips that can be so helpful. Mm. Mm. So what do you think... Um, you know, this interview is happening during the coronavirus um, crisis. Um, are you noticing any patterns in people with regard to um, their health that you think might be helped by some things that they could do at home? Yes, I think <clears throat> there was a big panic at first and people felt very vulnerable. And then just having a little bit more time most people not everybody of course but most people have some more time at home and in having more time over these weeks stress hormones have dropped off a bit a bit more chance to rest and recover and more attention being paid to food and exercise and and so the balance has improved and I, I think that is really useful and then having a few little key things that you can be doing on a daily basis so that psychologically you feel like you're doing something to protect yourself from this virus. So little things like having more garlic, which is a simple thing to do and has great effect on the immune system. It is one of the most complex natural foods that we know of. So it has an amazing range of beneficial impacts on the body, but critically, Garlic in its whole form 
doesn't have anything very active or useful in it. You have to chop or crush your garlic and leave it exposed to the air for about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes. And the garlic then is reacting to its exposure to oxygen and the garlic doesn't like being attacked by oxygen. So the garlic tries to protect itself and in doing that makes these amazing compounds that benefit our immune system, that are antioxidant, that are really immune boosting. But you have to have engaged that process first. So if you're cooking with garlic, just crush it or chop it before you do anything else, leave it to the side, let it get attacked by the oxygen, and then you can cook with it and you retain all those good qualities, which you won't get if you just shove it straight in your soup or your stew that you're cooking. So garlic, hugely immune boosting. One of my favorite little tips for people of all ages, of all types, with any kind of health condition, or if you're just trying to boost your own health, is black seed oil. It is amazing. And we've really only just cottoned onto it here in this country. It's been used in certain other countries, certainly in Egypt for over a thousand years. It comes from cumin seeds. It is highly antiviral, highly antibacterial, very anti-inflammatory, very uh, immune regulating, and can be used as a culinary oil. So it's not even a supplement, it's not a medicine. It's quite bitter, which is often a sign of, of benefit. Think of coffee, think of green tea, olive oil, that bitter note that you get from a peppery olive oil. Same thing in black seed oil. They're called polyphenols, these bitter notes, and they feed our microbiome and boost our immune system. So one to two teaspoons of a good quality black seed oil. Again, popping that in every day, either off the spoon like a medicine or mixing it with olive oil and making a dressing. You're actively doing something to stimulate good gut function and immune function. Sleep is where the body recovers and heals and resets. So if you do nothing else but prioritize good quality sleep, most people we think need seven and a half to eight hours, but it is variable. And managing that better and learning to get into a good sleep pattern during this time of lockdown can be so helpful. It's how we recover from the day's stress and we need to reboot the battery before we wallop it the next day with more stress. So we really need to be renewing that battery every single night. Otherwise, you get depleted. Mm. Yeah, so... Talk us through a little bit more about sleep because obviously, you know, once people get up, back up and running again, one of the things that I found when I'm working with artists who are on tour, sleep is just <laughs> very disruptive. Um, yeah, of course. Sometimes fought with other things like, you know, excess alcohol or, um, you know, stress or having to get up really early after mm. a, a late finish and, I was just wondering why is sleep so important to the body and, um, and how can we make sure we're getting enough? Sleep is a, a sort of a resetting. Imagine I give the analogy of supermarkets where they have to fill up their shelves at night. That's kind of what the body is doing. It's restocking, rebalancing, renewing. We go through phases of sleep. There are four phases. And on average, one phase lasts an hour and a half. And we need five phases throughout the night to have done all the restoring, renewal, calming of the inflammation, processing of information in the brain. Now, that's one of the things that first got me really into the neuroscience of sleep was understanding that what we learn today throughout the day, visually, orally, everything that we are taking in information-wise is sitting in the front, frontal part of the brain. At night, your body decides what's important and what isn't and banks it 
as a past memory, as a long-term memory. So the fluffy stuff you won't remember, the important stuff ideally gets put in the, in the memory banks, long-term memory. That is only happening when we're in our deep phase sleep called delta sleep. We only get into deep phase sleep if we're having enough sleep for long enough. And critically, we haven't got alcohol or caffeine in the system because both keep you in superficial sleep and they don't let you get into that very deep restorative sleep. So we come in and out of this very deep sleep. We're probably only in deep sleep phase for 20, 30 minutes at a time, but we need to be getting enough of those, those five bouts of deep sleep through the night for the brain to recover and to store that information for fat burning to happen, which is very important to keep our body fat at its optimal level for the gut to have a break. So the microbiome, these bacteria and microbes that are so busy, they want a, a chance to rest and restore too. So you want to be leaving a nice long time from your last meal to your first meal so that your digestive system has a chance to recover. So it is a recovery time. It's a resetting time. It's a rejuvenation time. It's when your liver does a lot of detoxification. So the body is really busy. There's tons going on during the night, but we're in a completely different gear. And to facilitate that gear change, we have to put certain things in place. Too much light will stop you getting into that deep sleep. Too much noise for most people, but there is a great variable. Some people are less sensitive to light and noise than others. As I say, caffeine and alcohol can keep you stuck in that superficial phase of sleep. But increasingly, we're understanding the impact of, of blue light exposure. So screens, mm. be it your phones, televisions, particularly HD television, even domestic lights are triggering a response in the body that keeps the brain thinking it's daytime. And while the brain thinks it's daytime, it will keep you awake because it would have been dangerous in primal times to fall asleep in the daytime. So one of the greatest stresses on the modern person is the fact that we can turn on lights because it means we can extend our day as long as we like. And really we need to be mm -hmm. shortening our days to 16 hours and sleeping for enough time to, to catch up and renew. So performers, are, and by the way, for those that don't know, I am married to a musician, so I see this firsthand. It's really hard when you are doing late gigs, when you're exposed to adrenaline, which wakes you up, obviously, and all that light and all that noise and all that buzz. And then you're getting back to the tour bus or to the hotel or to your own bed, but you're hyper, you're charged up, you're flying, it feels amazing. And getting mm. you turning down that revving to a point where you can get into good sleep can take for some people hours. So there are certain mm. things that one can do to speed up that process and, and help the body to understand it needs to turn off and get into sleep mode. If you are working late, performing late, you need to try as much as possible, and I know it's not always possible, to compensate and, and sleep in. You know, there is no crime in getting up late. If you went to bed really late, you need to bank those sleep hours. It is suggested very much in the neuroscience that you can't catch up on your sleep. You can't, you can't bank it for later. You know, you can sleep for 14 hours and then think you can get away with no sleep the next two days. Doesn't doesn't really work like that. So what about catnapping? Jury's out on that. 20 minutes seems to be optimal. More than that, you'll go into too deep a sleep that could then compromise your sleep at night. And also it can take you a long time then to sort of pick yourself back up and carry on with the day. But a 20 minute nap mm. seems to be quite restorative. Now I, I am just, I marvel at people being able to nap because my brain doesn't work like that. When it's on, it's on. And then I need to switch it off to go to sleep. And I've never had a chance to, to nap. 
but interestingly, places like Silicon Valley, where they're very advanced in the way they look after their teens, their staff, they have introduced sleep pods where people can go and have a 20 minute nap, but they aren't allowing it for longer because it seems, particularly in the creative industries, to be allowing a sort of a refreshing, a renewing, and people come out of these little naps in a much more positive state of mind and much more creative state of mind. So I think that's quite an individual thing uh, as to how well your body manages that. And if you're just trying to get 20 minutes a nap and you're just fretting about the fact that you haven't fallen asleep yet and you can sort of visualize the clock ticking away, then that's just going to wind you up and it's going to be counterproductive. So one of the things that I know singing teachers are often challenged, and I remember this myself when I first started teaching a lot more, is that it's a very sedentary job. Mm. And um, you're sitting at the piano you know, people come in, come out. And I, I remember at one point I had to force myself to remember to stand up and, mm. you know, at some point. But I just wondered if you had some ideas of how a singing teacher can, you know, make sure they're looking after their health and, and fitness, you know, while they're... Well, you, yeah, you make a very good point that being in a seated position for extended periods of time we know to be hugely problematic. Some people are talking about sitting being the new smoking. And even if you try and be very conscientious and you might go for a long walk or go to the gym at the end of your sedentary day to compensate. It doesn't compensate. There is a certain hmm, stagnation is a bit of an awful word, but a sort of a, a slowing of circulation of lymphatic flow of oxygen delivery when we are sitting for too long. So general advice, and I think this probably works well if you're doing a student in, student out, absolutely getting up as the student arrives and seeing them out, just breaking the sitting position into a standing position is helpful. And then at least at certain points throughout the day where possible, and it literally need only be for a few minutes, do something a bit more exertive to really get the blood flowing, get the muscles um, contracting so that you're getting good circulation. There's a, a nice little workout called the four minute workout by somebody called Dr. Zach Bush, who is one of the people that I follow because his understanding of the human body and our interrelationship with the environment is, is amazing. And he talks about soil health to do with gut health, to do with mental health. So he put together a little workout called the four minute workout, which uses all the major muscle groups, 16 muscle groups in a very short concentrated time. So it's dead easy to do, literally. He could do it in less than four minutes. What is critical about this little workout, it's a routine of four exercises that you repeat three times, is that you do it breathing through your nose. When we breathe through our nose, the body makes something called nitric oxide through our blood vessels. And nitric oxide reduces stress hormones, slows heart rate, opens up blood vessels, so blood pressure drops, and allows for more blood flow through the body. So after you've done it, you get this real tingle. You've got all this blood coming through to the extremities. There's a lovely buzz going on in the brain from doing it so if uh, your people listening want to look him up dr zach bush four minute workout remember because he doesn't make it very clear on his video the workout is done entirely breathing in through the nose you can breathe out through the mouth and then you get this added benefit of the nitric oxide it used to be called the nitric oxide dump <laughs> and he's changed the name because it wasn't very uh, attractive so that's a nice little thing you could do he recommends three times a day doing this little four minute workout. If you do it twice a day, great. So if you've got that little window of opportunity in between students, that is more than just being able to see one out and to get the next one in. If you've got a 15 minute break, do a little four minute workout. And if you can't even do that, 
just do a little running on the spot or some stretching or some deep breathing. So you're changing your physical state. And that's a game changer. We need to all be getting into the habit of doing that because our lives are becoming so sedentary. More movement is key. Um, I was interested, um, I don't think we've ever really had a sort of deep discussion about your book, Why Eating Less and Exercising More Makes You Fat. The reason why I want to bring it up is because I know a lot of performers are concerned about their weight. Sure. And and there are times, you know, when definitely when I've had students in who I felt like had some sort of, you know, body dysmorphia or mm. maybe were anorexic, you know, or had some kind of eating disorder. And I wondered, I, I never really quite knew how to approach it, you know, um, I mean, I've worked with anorexics in, in the hospital setting, but it's kind of different. when you, Once they're in hospital, there's a certain mm. process that goes on. But yeah. prior to that, I just thought, is there something I could be doing or saying or pointing them in the right direction of, so that they can achieve their goal of being slimmer, if that's what they need to be, uh, but they're not doing it incorrectly? Mm. Wow. I mean, that yeah, thanks. That's a, a huge subject. And just to put things into context a bit, so... Before I got into clinical nutrition, I was uh, working in psychology. So I did my master's in counseling psychology and specialized in eating disorders. So very familiar, particularly with anorexics. And I worked post-hospital, so post-clinic. I see a lot of anorexics to help them develop a healthy relationship with their body and food again. The purpose of my book, and it is a bit of a confusing title. If I had my time again, I would give it a different title. But the reason I called it Why Eating Less and Exercising More Makes You Fat is through my frustration that we are still, as a nation, as a world often, being told that if we eat fewer calories and we exercise more to burn calories, we will lose weight. This is profoundly flawed. There is no good science behind that, even though it seems logical. Or if I put less in and burn more, I'm gonna lose weight. And yes, that works in the very short term. But the body is so sophisticated and so complex and so primal, working on the principle that there would have been times of feast and times of famine when we were hunter-gatherers, which by the way is 99.5% of our evolutionary uh, existence. So for most of the time, we've been by far been hunter-gatherers. If we don't eat enough, the body slows down. Eating less causes the body to slow down. It is something that we've been also deeply indoctrinated with, that it is very hard to let go of this idea that if we eat fat, we get fat. And if we eat less, we lose weight. And it simply isn't that straightforward. So my book is about eating the appropriate foods for our body to get best performance. Our brain, which only weighs about 2% of our whole body weight, burns about 25% of our energy. The brain is the most energy hungry organ in the body. So then if we eat too little, if we're trying to reduce our food intake, the brain slows down. And anybody who has gone on a low fat, low calorie diet will know that very soon you obsess about food, you get moody, you get grumpy, your tolerance goes down, you can't concentrate, the brain is being starved. So it is completely illogical that we deprive ourselves of food in a bid to lose weight. We have to change our vernacular. Losing weight isn't helpful. I don't ever ask people what they weigh. What I want to know is of your weight, how much is body fat? Let's get the body fat down because then everything works better. Your inflammation goes down, your immune system improves, your tolerance improves. Too much body fat is our world epidemic. That's why we have so much diabetes and obesity. It really doesn't matter what you weigh. 
So what is very liberating about what I have learned and what I put in the book is that one can eat unctuous, delicious, filling, satisfying foods and calories are irrelevant. And what happens when we eat the appropriate foods for our body is that our appetite tells us when to eat and when to stop. It's not guesswork. We're not counting calories. We're not counting fat grams. We're not having to use an intellectual process to work out what to eat because our body will tell us. As a foodie myself, as somebody who's been through every single diet, as a low-fat vegan in my 20s, I can tell you how liberating it is to not be at the mercy of food cravings, of energy crashes, of guesswork, of trying to work out what to eat and what not to eat. So we have to let go of this old idea that counting calories, reducing our calorie intake is the way to lose weight. And actually, let's eat to rev up the body and get the best performance out. Let's put great fuel in, you'll get great function out. And the premise, very simply, is fat, fiber, and protein. We, as a human being, are made of fat and protein. That's it. And we need fiber because fiber, coming back to the uh, initial point of our conversation, feeds our gut microbes. Human beings do not need any fiber, but our gut microbes, of which we have about 100 trillion, about four pounds, two kilos in weight. So vast numbers. They feed on fiber and they thrive on fiber. And then they produce vitamins and anti-inflammatory compounds and um, immune regulating cells that keep us healthy. So we eat fiber to feed our microbiome and we eat fat and protein to nourish our cells, mend our body, feed our brain and keep our energy up. And if we focus on those foods mainly, then the body has everything it needs. Mm. So in your book, do you actually talk about the kind of foods that you would recommend? Yeah, very much. And uh, we are going through um, a bit of a vegan renaissance at the moment. And as I said, in my 20s, it's a very long time ago now, I was a vegan. I have vegan sentiments around animal welfare, but I have come to realize through educating myself that veganism will not save the planet. We are seeing a lot of soil destruction through monocrops of soy and wheat and corn, which are staples of the vegan diet, sadly. But also we cannot, however good a vegan you are, however good you are at preparing your own food, you cannot get everything you need from a vegan diet. You have to supplement at least some things, which in itself tells us that a vegan diet isn't what we're supposed to have. So I'm all about lots of veg, of a wide variety because of a wide variety of veg give us a wide variety of nutrients, but also a diversity of different fibers. There are lots of different fibers and our gut microbiome want lots of different fibers. So we need to be going for variety. And it's so easy these days because we're busy and we can get into habits so easily that we just know what we like and we know what to cook and we just cook the same stuff over and over again. So trying to be a bit adventurous, trying every time you go to the supermarket or the farmer's market, to buy something that you've never bought before or that you don't even know what it is and experiment with is rather lovely and good for us. So you get your fiber from your veggies and you get your nutrients from your veggies and then good fats, which are so scary for people to eat if they think they want to lose some weight and then it's counterintuitive that you should eat some fat. But fat is filling, fat is satisfying, fat nourishes the brain, helps our hormones balance. Every cell is coated in fat. We need good fat. And that should again be a range. So I'm in favor of everything from coconut to avocados to nuts and seeds. Good quality butter is amazingly good for the gut microbiome. Lashings of olive oil, it's very, very anti-inflammatory. And again, full of polyphenols, which are good for the gut. 
and eggs, fabulous. I recommend 16 to 20 a week. And people are like, what? <laughs> I was told to eat two a week. And that again is old news. We were so worried about cholesterol, but the, the correlation between cholesterol in food and the cholesterol in our blood just doesn't stack up in the science. And particularly pertinent at the moment is that with COVID-19, the statistics that are coming out of China now, who are so far ahead of us on all the post-mortems, the people who were more vulnerable and died from COVID-19 were the people with low cholesterol. So in my field, there is a suggestion that at the moment, while there's viruses running riot, people on statins, I'm not suggesting anybody does this, by the way, but the people on statins should be reducing their dose or coming off because you don't want low cholesterol because cholesterol helps us fight viruses, which is very interesting. So eggs, lovely, uh, protein in the white, great fats in the yolk. Uh, they're such a complete food. They have every nutrient we need. Actually, just a quick aside, coming back to the immune system, vitamin D is more like a hormone than a vitamin. It is an immune regulator. Most people in Britain and in many countries around the world, and particularly European countries, are chronically low in vitamin D. It is essential for brain health, for mood regulation, for managing inflammation in the brain. It manages the immune system. It helps our bones stay strong. It helps us build muscle. It keeps our metabolism revving. It is hugely protective against viruses and cancer. It is so crucially important. And most people aren't having enough because it's a fat soluble vitamin and people are afraid of fat. So they're not eating enough fat. And it's actually in very few fats. It's in the fat yolk of the uh, egg. It's in oily fish, the, the really fishy fish, the cold water fish. Uh, it's in a bit of grass fed meat, but it's quite hard to get enough of. So just as a general tip for everyone to stay well, stay healthy and stay mentally strong, get your vitamin D levels checked. And, uh, and if you're even slightly on the low end of even normal, not below normal, but low end of normal, you wanna be taking more to get you right up to the higher, higher end of the range. Yeah, and for some people, they will find that they take vitamin D, they might have a low test, recommended to take vitamin D, they'll take vitamin D, must be taken with food, by the way, because it gets absorbed through fat and food. Uh, and then their levels still don't go up. And then that's because they are low in another vitamin called vitamin K, which allows your body to absorb the vitamin D. Now we make vitamin K from our gut microbes, but if your gut microbes aren't very happy, you're not making enough vitamin K and then you can't absorb your vitamin D. So often I'll supplement the two together. Vitamin K is in fermented foods which brings us back to gut health. Anything from a good cheese to live yogurt to the fermented drinks that are now becoming very popular, certainly here in Britain, um, kombucha, fizzy tea, which is a naturally fermented tea, uh, something called water kefir, which is a nice naturally fizzy drink. These have live microbes in that will help stimulate better gut microbial function. And that also will, these fermented foods, particularly good cheeses like uh, Swiss cheeses, Emmental and Gouda, and, uh, you're going to get some nice vitamin K from a, a good cheese too. And that, that can help with the vitamin D absorption. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and I haven't had my bloods done, but I probably should. Yeah, so you, you got to fats. So, so we did fats, we did fiber and protein. So this is where it gets very tricky with vegetarian and vegan diets because there are proteins in nuts and seeds and beans and lentils. And I, I eat loads of those and I'm, I'm big fans because they also contain nice fiber, particularly beans and lentils. But to get enough of the right kind and right balance of protein is really, really tricky, particularly for a vegan diet. And this is where we are 
finding people just just run out of fuel. The body doesn't respond to exercise. It fatigues very quickly. You don't just recover from stress very well when you're low in protein. So I am not suggesting we eat tons of it. I think we should be very judicious about the quality of our protein. There is nothing wrong with having a nice bit of steak or certainly some fish and some eggs. Lamb is a pretty clean meat. Having one or two times a week some red meat is, is probably more than enough for most people. Depends on your physical size, your, the level of stress that you're under, the amount of physical exercise that you do. Are you punishing your body quite hard training? Then you're going to need more. We don't need that much and too much protein is a problem. So I am not a high protein person at all. I'm an optimal protein and roughly speaking, and as again, it's very variable. If you're imagining a plate of food, I would suggest half the plate covered with a variety of veggies and salads and the fibrous healthy stuff, but make it yummy with lots of olive oil dressing or some toasted seeds on there and put some egg through it. So it, it should be pleasurable to eat your veg and your salad. And then about a third of the uh, other side of the plate should be covered in your protein. Now, protein, if it's animal protein, always comes with fat anyway, unless you are being very selective, like a, a chicken breast without skin is just virtually pure protein, and I wouldn't recommend it. You want the, the chunky thighs, which have got nice fat embedded in them, or some marbled meat, or like the oily fish. The fat is in the protein, and we always will absorb and digest our protein better if there is fat present. So don't go too lean. Don't be cutting off all the fatty bits. And then you've got a little section of the plate left if you want to do something a bit more carby. Now, I don't re recommend foods that are called refined carbs or fast carbs, where they've got no nutrients and they just give you a massive energy buzz and then you have a crash. There are lots of knock-on effects to that. It can actually be very addictive, that feeling of a, a, a carb high, and then you just need more and more to keep you going. Also very upsetting for the gut microbes. But the, the healthy carbs, the good carbs, chickpeas, sweet potato, or your squash, quinoa, buckwheat, maybe a little bit of uh, sourdough bread here or there. I'd be cautious with too much wheat. There are some complications with wheat, but a bit of rye sourdough could be nice, a bit of pumpernickel bread. So these are carbohydrate-rich foods, but they're fiber-rich. They've got nutrients. They're adding value. I just don't want people to eat anything that's wasted, that just has nothing useful to give the body. And when you build up a plate like that with all your fiber lots of olive oil or lovely dressing so more fat there's your protein and fat and then the, your, your starchy carbs then you've got a very complete filling meal and that hopefully should sustain you for hours because it's this constant grazing that people do snacking and snacking and snacking and the eating window has become so long and we know from very very established science if we can shorten our eating window every day to about eight hours, 10 hours. So then we have a nice long fasting window before we eat again. The health benefits are profound. They are mind blowing. And it's one of my tips in the book that we try and do a bit of intermittent fasting. The level of recovery we get, the quality of our sleep, our ability to cope with stress, our mental recovery, the reduction in inflammation, the gut microbiome, everything benefits from not eating but I love eating. So the idea of it can be very onerous. But if you eat the way I recommend, you eat great, delicious, filling, satisfying foods within your eating window. And you just let yourself have a recovery window after that. And 
but you'll find your rhythm. Everyone's a bit different, but um, yeah, that's part of what I recommend. Yeah, so you, you do agree with intermittent fasting? Oh, yeah, huge fan. Yeah, have got more and more into it and um, have tested my body with it. Having been reactively hyperglycemic, which I see a lot where because I was a vegan living on carbohydrates, bread and fruit and, and potatoes and pasta and rice, my blood sugar was crashing every two hours or so. So I was eating every two hours or so. So that was an eating pattern that I'd got into. And if I didn't do that, I'd start to get that horrible feeling, the shakes, the sort of vagueness, lack of concentration, feeling a bit unsettled, unstable. So to now be able to do what, I, which I do at least once a week, sometimes more, 22 hours, sometimes 23 hours, or so I have one meal a day. Uh, it just blows my mind that I can not only do it, but thrive. Energy is through the roof. I can exercise, I can push my body, I can work and just have one meal a day. That's incredible. Knowing that my body is being well nourished with one really good meal. Two meals a day is great too. And in between those meals, the body's recovering, repairing, renewing and doing all the things that it wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed... Um... For me, in the last week, I started to notice myself getting really sluggish and I realised I'd changed my eating habits. Yeah, easily done at the moment. A lot of people are struggling with that, yeah. And um, and so in the last three days, I've gone back to being, because uh, I do intermittent fasting, so being much Oh, more... okay. So what pattern? Because there are lots of different patterns. People know about 5-2, 16-8, 18-6. What do you generally do? Oh, yeah, I just... I do. I have 16 hours between. Nice. Good. Yeah, that's lovely. 18. So I generally start around midday. Um, I, I'm quite happy to not eat in the morning. I always have been like that anyway. So for me, it was easier just to start around 12, finish around 8 or, you know, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so many people I've come across, I've been in practice for 30 years, so I've had this conversation a lot with people and they say, I've never really felt like eating breakfast, but everybody told me I had to, that it was really bad not to. And this, this mantra that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is so deeply ingrained. And actually I agree, but breakfast is the first meal of the day and it doesn't have to be toast and jam and cereal at seven o'clock in the morning. It can be eggs and avocado or whatever else at 12 o'clock in midday. So truly the, the idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day was established by Mr. Kellogg's very smart man who got his way and now people are just in that habit of having a bowl of cereal in the morning because they think they should and if one's goal going back to what we were saying earlier about weight loss or more more specifically fat loss if a performer singer wants to just feel a bit more sort of trim and in their body and uh, on top of their weight then leave longer from your last meal to your first meal Anything more than about 12 hours for most people will trigger a fat burning response. So after about 12 hours, we have this small reserve of sugar held in the body that will have run out. And then in order to keep your body going, your body is burning fat. As soon as you eat, you are now running on the food that you're eating and not the, the fat in your body. Even skinny people have about three months worth of fat on them. So you're not going to starve but you have to train your body to understand how to burn body fat. And so not everybody can go straight into a 16 hour fast. They'll feel ghastly, they'll feel awful. It's because you're not what we call fat adapted. So you start slowly, you leave 
12 hours, try and leave 12 hours every night from last calories to first calories. And then incrementally by a half hour or an hour over time, just see how much longer you can do that. Certainly if you reduce your refined carbs, the, the rice, the potatoes, the pasta, the bread, the sweet foods, your body will become fat adapted more easily. The more sugar we put in, the more the body wants to run on sugar, not fat. So over time, and it takes time, you have to be patient with yourself. Once you're fat adapted, then you can go, people go days. I've not, I've not done days. I like to eat too much. But um, many people, it should be medically supervised, but many people are going for days, three, five days to reverse diabetes, to really get the weight down, to heal the liver, all sorts of things. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of great research and great support out there for people who are interested in fasting. Uh, what I do with new patients or patients new to fasting, particularly patients, if you're feeling a bit out of control of your food, like you know what you should do, but you can't do if you're a comfort eater, which so many people are. If your brain chemistry isn't quite there, then you're going to be relying on foods to boost levels of serotonin. Carbohydrates do that. Sugars do that temporarily. They can leave you in the long term low in serotonin, but you get that momentary boost. So you're feeling a bit out of control and you just don't know how to break bad habits. One thing that is very safe to do, non-supervised, is to use bone broth. Obviously not for the vegans out there <laughs> or vegetarians. Um, you wouldn't use fish, but uh, uh, beef bones, lamb bones. I particularly like chicken bones. So after a roast chicken, throw the carcass in with some water, a glug of vinegar, very important because it helps the breakdown of the bones. And you slow simmer for ideally minimum 12 hours, ideally longer. Or nowadays you can buy organic bone broth very easily. And what that does is not only tasty and warming and salty and, and a very nice thing, easy thing to consume, it is very easily available nourishment for the body. So your, your digestive system doesn't have to do any digesting, but good bone broth is so rich in amino acids, which come from protein and nutrients and gut healing properties. We use it a lot at the um, digestive health program that I run at Grayshot Medical Spa because it heals the lining of the gut, supports the immune system, satisfies the appetite. So you could drink a liter of bone broth throughout the day for one day, three days, five days, whatever you fancied. And then that really helps to reset the appetite and break bad habits, but you're never hungry because the body feels so well fed. So that's kind of a nice thing to do. I was thinking about singers who you were talking about it earlier, who have to do their performance in the evenings. What kind of ideas could we be giving them with regard to how they manage their eating? I mean, I remember when I was gigging, I couldn't eat within an hour and a half of a gig, otherwise I'd stitch. Um, but then I'd end up really super starving by the end of the the gig and I'd be eating like you know 11 12 1 depending on the gig finished and that even though I knew that I would pay for it the next day you know by feeling gluggy and horrible or not sleeping well I was just like so hungry I was I couldn't do anything and it was so a time when the band got together and kind of chilled a little bit or just recovered yeah it's a nice time it's, it's that downtime it's the come down time isn't it which I think is really important so what do you advise singers do? Because the other thing, of course, which we have discussed and, and there's plenty out there uh, that I can point people to that you're talking about reflux, but because reflux is obviously one of the banes of a singer's life. Mm. 
yes and eating late and going to bed with a full stomach is one of the easiest ways to trigger reflux well certainly i think that you have to be conscientious to make sure you have a really a good well-balanced meal fat fiber protein very nourishing hearty meal probably two or three hours before you're due to even go and start warming up so the, the food stays in your stomach, which is very high up. You swallow the food, it's first port of call, stomach, very high up in the system. And food stays in there for three to five hours, churning around, mixing with enzymes and acids to break down before it's released into the small intestine where the nutrients are absorbed. So you don't really want that big, heavy, full stomach when you're about to get up on stage. So give it a good two or three hours, uh, have a meal before, well before you're going to go on stage. And so then your body's nourished and fueled. Then keep yourself well hydrated through the gig because that can give you a full sense of hunger or fatigue if you're dehydrated. And with all that performing and the lights and everything else, you're going to get dehydrated very easily. And then I would have something with you to nourish the body easily without having to eat a full meal at the end of it. Because as you come down, you will start to feel hungry. Stress hormones stop you feeling hungry. And then as they drop, you suddenly realize you're ravenous. So that would, I know this might sound weird to some of you, but that would be a great time to have a flask of warm bone broth because it will nourish and satisfy without giving you that full heavy stomach that then could exacerbate poor sleep and reflux during the night or you just have something very small and light but what is critical if you are eating late is that you eat slowly and that is so hard in that environment where you're all like oh great gig and it was so satisfying and you're buzzing and there's food going around and you're just sort of mindlessly eating and drinking and if we're not acknowledging that we're eating if we're not registering with the brain the good chewing and the enjoying of the food then the digestive system can't prepare to receive that food and that's where reflux kicks in where you have poor or mismanagement of your stomach acid because you're forcing food through a system that is in the wrong gear and then the opening at the top of the stomach is more vulnerable to not working properly. And that's when you go and lie down a couple of hours later and you've got reflux coming up because there's food sitting in the system and the acid isn't being well managed. So have the bulk of your food before the gig, absolutely well before the gig, have something light and nourishing throughout the gig or just afterwards. You could also take, I'm not averse to a good quality smoothie, trouble is the commercial ones aren't terribly good quality but to make one at home is dead easy it could be with coconut milk I'm a big fan of coconut it's a very quick energy for the body so not the cartons of the really watery stuff I'd use the tinned cr cream or milk coconut milk that you'd put in a curry so you could slosh some of that into a blender with some berries um, you could throw in some nuts particularly good are cashew nuts because they're soft or you can if you can be bothered with this uh soak some nuts overnight some seeds overnight and then they mush up in your smoothie really well and now you've got easily absorbed great nourishment you can put in any number of nutritional powders there's protein powders there's maca powder which is a, a lovely one for energy baobab powder which is full of iron and vitamin c and, and good stuff make a blend of something again following this principle of fat fiber protein so put in some berries and some spinach there's your fiber and your nutrients put in some coconut milk there's your good fat put in some nuts and seeds or some protein powder there's your protein but because it's blended it's going to be much easier on the digestive system don't have too much of it sit that after a gig it should satisfy any sort of real sense of hunger and, and not put too much of a burden on the system so the final thing i want to ask you about 
Stephanie, and I mean, this webinar's been full of amazing information. As usual. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. Um, what? Because immunity obviously is something that people are thinking about uh, right now. And of course, that's something that singers think about all the time because as soon as you get it, even just the hint of a cold, your voice mm. is impacted. Mm. So, what would you recommend a singer does in terms of? Obviously, there's the good diet and, and the sleep and the exercise, but what about supplements? Are there any particular supplements that you think help with immunity and can help people reduce the impact of a cold or maybe even getting one? Yeah, one of my favourites, and again, this is Mother Nature at its best because a bit like garlic, it is one of the most naturally complex compounds in the world. It's something called propolis. Propolis is awesome. It's what the worker bees make to sterilize the hive before the queen comes and lays her egg. So it's anti-viral, um, anti-bacterial, anti-fungal. It is so brilliant and so complex. And it is particularly useful for kind of bronchial, respiratory, throaty issues. And you can take it in many different forms. So if you go to a health food shop, you'll find there are throat sprays with propolis in. It's quite bitter tasting. It's got hints of honey, but it's not sweet like honey. You can take it as capsules. You can take it as lozenges. So at this time, just as COVID-19 was kicking in, all my patients, my elderly parents, I got them all on propolis, taking that because of its complexity, it's an immune booster and it's a particularly good upper respiratory throaty uh, protector. So you can take that in various ways. So propolis is lovely. Um, and equally, if you feel like you are coming down with something, um, you can get a spray and literally spray it in, in the throat and it can work really well that way. So I'm a big fan of that. Vitamin C is being talked about a lot at the moment because it's an immune booster and we should be getting it from food. We can't store it anywhere. So we do need vitamin C at every meal. That's your green veg, your colorful stuff, your reds, your greens, your purples. What is very interesting is that the body uses masses of vitamin C when we're stressed. So the adrenal glands, which sit on top of your kidneys, they're tiny little fatty glands. They suck up vitamin C like crazy. And so if you are stressed, and almost by its nature of being performer, you go into that stress mode to perform well. You're going to need more vitamin C than most. If you're a smoker, you need masses more vitamin C than non-smokers. And then if you want to boost your immune system, you need more vitamin C too. So it is one that's a good one to supplement with because most supplements work well. Not all supplements work that well in the body. So a vitamin C supplement is prudent. Yeah, I recommend people take liposomal vitamin C. What do you Yeah, liposomal, liposomal vitamin C, because of the form it is put in, it is in a form that will go into your body much more easily invariably speaking a supplement of any kind that says liposomal will be more expensive because it's better made and the body will absorb it better otherwise a lot of the time we're just peeing these things out so so it's a waste of time so yes liposomal uh, another huge one is uh, curcumin which is the active component in turmeric and it's become a big thing turmeric it's very anti-inflammatory it's very antioxidant it's very immune supporting so to use it in one's food and to have turmeric tea and turmeric coffee and all these things that people are doing fine, but understand that the main benefit of turmeric, which is this specific compound called curcumin, is only about 4% of the turmeric root. And to get enough, therefore, is really hard. You'd have to have tons of, of actual turmeric to do that. But also 
coming back to the liposomal issue, curcumin doesn't get absorbed well into the body at all. So to just take turmeric supplements or just to take curcumin is a waste of time. It has to be liposomal or cell active. It has to have been made biologically available. Often you'll see uh, turmeric supplements with piperine, which is from black pepper, which is rather elegant because if you think about all the curries that people are eating around the world, turmeric and black pepper will always be present and one helps the other. So supplements often have them. So to get a, a usable and useful dose of curcumin, you really need to supplement rather than just trying to get it through the diet. So I'm a big fan of that. Vitamin D, as I've already said, hugely important and do not underestimate the power of vitamin D. Low vitamin D can leave you just sort of struggling a bit on so many different levels, the recovery level, the mental fatigue, the immune system, like you're sort of trudging through mud a bit and everything feels a bit like hard work and just taking vitamin D sometimes can be enough to lift that. So um, it's easy to get tested online, by the way, these days. So your GP should test you. They will not at the moment because they're overwhelmed, but we are uh, able to get a vitamin test, D test once a year from our GP through the NHS, but you might not find that very easy. So there are ways to do it online, which are very safe and you get a little kit and you finger prick and send some drops of blood off and then they'll send you your results and, and then you can get some advice accordingly. So that's worth doing. And then a general good multi, often is a waste of time if it's just sort of cheap and cheerful and, uh, and you're just taking an off the shelf one because they try and pack so many vitamins and minerals into one pill, you're not gonna have enough of anything or they're not gonna be in a form that is useful. So if you want to invest in a good multivitamin and mineral that covers all your bases, it will have a bit of that vitamin D, it will have a bit of vitamin K, it will have the B vitamins, which are good for stress. It will have some magnesium, which is good for stress then it's worth paying a bit more and look on the label for something that says food state or food form. And that means the nutrients have been extracted from a food source as opposed to being made synthetically out of chemicals that are trying to look and behave like a, a vitamin or a mineral. And then your body will absorb it much more easily. So that's useful. But the final thing that most people, pretty much every patient I've ever worked with is gonna be low in because we just don't have enough of the right food, certainly in Britain, is omega-3, which is what we call an essential fatty acid, meaning it's essential to health and we have to consume it. We can't make it in the body. We get it in oily fish. You can't count salmon because most of our salmon is farmed and farmed salmon don't sadly have the right diet, so they don't have the omega-3. So we're talking mackerel, sardines, herring, anchovies, the little oily fishy fish. A lot of people don't like those. So if you are not eating on a very regular basis, three times a week, these oily fish, you need to be consuming a good quality omega-3 supplement from either fish or krill or algae. And that is an immune booster, well, an immune regulator. It's anti-inflammatory, very important for brain health. So all round essential. And as I say, hard to get enough from the diet. So as a baseline, a vitamin D and an omega-3 for most people. Mm, that's brilliant. So could you leave us with maybe, I don't know, a few top tips that you think are essential to healthy living um, that people do, sure. you know, easily from home? Again, coming back to how we started, gut health. So incredibly important and easy to forget that we have these living creatures inside of us. This mass of different microbes that need to be looked after. So I talk about the three F's for good gut health. 
fiber, which we've covered. So that's your veggies, that's your fruit, although I wouldn't have too much. Ber berries are particularly good. Kiwi is great. So lots of different veg, salads, a little bit of fruit for your fiber. Beans and lentils, lovely fiber. Uh, nuts and seeds have nice fiber. So those foods should be present in some form at every meal. So you're feeding your microbes. This is what we call prebiotic fiber to feed your microbes. So fiber, first F. Second F, fermented foods. So putting in microbes. That's your live yogurt and your kefir drinks. So there's dairy kefir, coconut kefir, water kefir. These are all highly fermented drinks. Kombucha, fermented tea, good quality cheeses. And then your fermented veggies like sauerkraut and kimchi. These have all become very popular. Raw apple cider vinegar, which is one of my go-to aids for reflux. If you've seen me talk before about reflux, it's a great aid to have as a digestive stimulant at the beginning of a meal. A little bit of apple cider vinegar and some water. So these fermented foods are putting in microbes, then you're feeding them with your fiber rich foods. And my third F, so there's fiber, there's fermented foods, and my third F, which you've covered is fasting. Your gut microbes recover if they have a bit of time off from digesting. So that's all very doable from home. If you've got a bit of time on your hands at the moment, try some fermenting, it's very cool. You can just get a cabbage and some salt. And then you, two weeks later, you've got sauerkraut, loads of stuff online about that. So dead easy to make fermented foods, dead easy to make yogurt, dead easy to make kefir. Homemade fermented foods are gonna be far more complex and much more diverse with microbes than anything made commercially. So homemade stuff is always great. So that's a good thing. Just start to go to bed at a regular time where you can. The body likes rhythm. Every cell in our body has a circadian clock. It wants to know when it's supposed to be doing its jobs. Some cells work at night, some cells work more in the day. So if you allow your body to know when it's nighttime and get up time, the body tends to work better. So try and get into a routine of going to bed roughly at the same time and getting up roughly at the same time. So that can be really helpful. Moving the body, really opening up the rib cage, stretching the spine, doing various types of exercise that cause the body what we call hormetic stress. So challenge the body in a healthy way, stress it out a little bit, and the end result is that it will get stronger. So moving the body is super important. And we know that if you move the body, you get more oxygen to the brain, which is also super important for general well-being and concentration. And be more conscious about what you're choosing to eat. Remember, you're either supporting good gut health or killing off your microbes depending on what you're putting in so no surprises sugar uh, man-made foods highly processed foods chemicals alcohol i'm not saying you can't have any of them but just understand that they are damaging so you need to be being prudent having them less often and compensating by making sure that if you are having a piece of cake or a glass of wine or a packet of crisps then you've already looked after your microbes that day by feeding them really well, and then they'll cope. But you can't just keep throwing in the abuse and expect your body to be able to recover every time. That's wonderful. So how can people get in contact with you, Stephanie? You will find me, uh, my website is health-in-hand, so health-in-hand with hyphens.co.uk or .com. You'll find me at the website and there you'll see links to my uh, various social media sites and my book. I do write a blog there, but uh, I don't write as often as I should. Um, and yes, Facebook, Twitter, all of those sorts of things, you'll find me there. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming and talking to us.
Absolute pleasure, as always. Yeah, I look forward to talking to you in and when, whenever the next year and finding out what your next yes. focus is. Yes. Um, be safe, be well, everybody, and take the time to look after yourselves. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. <laughs>